Carl, it is very good to see you today. We are so glad that you're here. Praise God for that. I, um, I'm going to be preaching. We're still in our Seeing Jesus series. So this is a, a study that has eight lessons. It's meant to be one-on-one. I hope you've taken Garrett up on his challenge to ask a friend or neighbor to, to study through this together. Um, I'm looking at our, the final lesson today. It's called His Invitation, Jesus' Invitation to Us All. We are going to have one more sermon next week to kind of tie a bow on the whole thing and wrap it up, but I'm going to be looking at, at the final lesson today. You know, Jesus' invitation to, to follow Him is somehow all at once, you know, one of the most daunting propositions and the easiest and most joyous decision a person can make. And so we're going to sit in that sort of paradox today and try to work through some of the really hard things about what he's called us to, but within mind, there is no greater good than what he's called us to. And it is all extremely worth it and more in the end. So whether... You know, you've been trying to follow Christ for several years, or you, maybe you still haven't quite decided if, if, if Christ is for you or not. Um, we, we have this choice before us each and every day. Will we follow Jesus? Will we take him up on his invitation? So, wherever you are, can consider that with me again today. And in a lot of ways, the Gospels, the entire New Testament, they go to great lengths to describe and lay out this invitation, what it looks like to follow Christ. Um, you know, we've been talking about various aspects of this really throughout this whole series. You know, we've talked about his, his purpose and grace and love and humility, his suffering, his power, his generosity. It, it's all wrapped up into this initial call to follow Jesus. Like the previous lessons, we've got two uh, scriptures to kind of hone in on and and focus today. And so I want to start there. The first one is in Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to be reading verses 18 through 22. Uh, But just for a a tiny bit of context, so Matthew 8 follows the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through 7. And so Sermon on the Mount, very famous stuff. Jesus there is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Here in chapter 8, it moves and he begins to demonstrate the kingdom's power. And so this chapter is you know, full of several healings. It's where he calms the storm famously. He's kicking out demons. And, and right in the middle is this little story about following Jesus. Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22. It says this, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This is a hard story. Two guys that apparently had already been following Jesus around a bit. I mean, they they chased him to the other side of the lake. uh, Come up to sort of volunteer their discipleship to him. 
he has some hard things to say. Some hard truths about the kingdom and what this invitation to follow him really includes. You know, in, in a one-on-one study like this, I would say it, it is important to, to have people face these kind of truths, certainly, and, and lead people into um, that for the first time, or again, a, an important reminder for all of us that um, following Jesus may come with a life that, that looks like the one Jesus lived. And so it, it may not always be what you expect. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. He was on mission. He was on the move. You know, his few years of ministry, he was that itinerant teacher going from town to town. No permanent home. And that's a big deal. And so we we encounter things like this, and I think we have to ask, like, to what degree are we supposed to imitate Jesus in this regard? Um, Garrett kind of mentioned some of this in the welcome. Like, our homes... Are, are so important to us, right? Where we live is so important to us. Sometimes who we choose to live with, these are major decisions. And so the question is, are you willing to submit those decisions, submit those preferences, those desires to the kingdom of God? You know, that type of decision where we live and and how we're going to live, that's also like a huge financial decision, right? We can stretch ourselves to the absolute sort of limit of our means and get a really cool kind of sweet home base that can be used for all sorts of good reasons, but plenty of selfish ones also. Um, You know, we perhaps lose some flexibility. We can get stuck in a mortgage, and there's plenty of... uh, danger in that Uh, you can go the complete other way sacrifice some of those desires some of those preferences you know choose to to pick a home that's not quite as awesome or not cool a location Uh, but maybe you've got just tremendous flexibility and you're close to community and you can get a lot of other cool stuff done and everything in between and so the question is simply is that area of your life submitted to christ's mission Plain and simple. You know, just you know, hearing the announcements again today, I'm reminded uh, again of just all the the generosity opportunities, as, as Clay said it. You know, we are are faced with just list after list of, of things we can can give to, and and choosing to to follow Christ and um, you know a way like this and, and how we choose to pick our homes and where we live can greatly impact that. Um, you know, Clay sharing about those local opportunities today. Josh was up here just last week talking about, you know, those orphans in that school with Brad and Estel in Africa. We've got our regular gifts to Sugamar. Um, we've got the, the focus missions on the campuses here, not to mention our little church here. And, and the needs here and, and everything else going on. We're, we're in summer. Those electricity bills for this beautiful building are large. Um, but I'm on a bit of a tangent here. But this is, you know, an example of how to try and, like, meditate on, on the example that, that Christ's life gives us. And what to do when we, like that teacher of the law, say, I'm here to follow you. And he reminds us that, okay. I've got no place to lay my head. Are you up for that?
The second guy that comes up to him, um, again, volunteering to up his discipleship to Jesus. But he says, first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus, just that, that hard one-liner, let the dead bury their dead, but you follow me. There's, there's always a lot going on, certainly here. So this, this could be a reference to the law and, and how Jesus you know, defines what fulfillment to that looks like and how he supersedes that old law. Um, it could be a reference to this person setting like an indeterminate amount of time before he will follow Jesus as he waits for aging parents and everything in his estate to settle. Um, you know, it's also highlighting just the presumptuous nature of a person trying to define how they're going to respond to the call, how they will choose to follow Jesus. Um, Likely that this is a hyperbole. Jesus likes us to love people. He likes us to care for aging parents and dying parents and all of that, clearly. But the bottom line, the point Jesus is making is that no earthly excuse or even no earthly legitimate concern should come before the call to follow Jesus. That call, his invitation, must come before all supersede all, be on top of all, direct everything else and all the other decisions in our life. The commitment that Jesus is after from us is literally second to none. No one, no thing comes before Jesus and his mission in our lives. And so the question again is is just that. Are you a... uh, Lord, first, let me do this or that kind of a person? Or are you just simply a Lord first kind of person? I hear you, God, but first, I need to do this or that. Do you dare put stipulations on his call in your life? That's a very presumptuous thing to do with our Lord and Creator. But unfortunately, I think all of us have and can do that from time to time. Even just without thinking. You know, we we will lean on some sort of wisdom. It's like, I'm not ready for that. I need to do this or that first. Or I, um, certainly God, you haven't prepared me fully to to go here or there. So I'll, I'll get this done first. You know, this story is to... Try and you know shatter that. That's a false expectation, and it's putting things on top of the call, on top of his invitation. That must be first. And so as we continue here, that's just got to be our, our prayer. That's my prayer for myself, for you, that God would forgive us our worldly concerns and all the things that we place in front of his call, and that he would continue to give us strength, and the will to, to obey him no matter what and be able to say yes to that call, whatever it is, whenever it comes up and follow in his footsteps. The other verse in this lesson comes from Matthew chapter 13. Uh, it's, it's a very cool chapter. It's, it's full of eight different parables explaining the, the word and the kingdom and, and what all might happen in the end. Uh, Matthew 13, 44 through 45. These two, I guess it's through 46. We got a few verses here with two like one-liner parables to describe 
the kingdom of heaven and, and bring light to the invitation that, that he's offering us. So Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You know, both of these little parables are are describing the the great value of the kingdom and the extreme and, and urgent measures people should take because of it. And so... Again, and especially on the heels of that other passage, I think this can sound like a pretty daunting task and another hard teaching. It takes everything. Like, are you willing to give up everything for the kingdom? That's a valid and good question you should ask yourself again and again. But it's not just that it requires your everything. Not just that it might cost you're everything. What this par- these parables are trying to say is that it is worth your everything and more. You hear that? It, it's not just that it costs everything. It is absolutely worth your everything. There is no greater good to be after. And the upside-down nature of the kingdom, we find out the more you try to give up, the more God blesses you even in the midst of sometimes terrible trials and hard suffering, there is promise after promise after promise in store for those who take up Christ at his invitation and follow him. And so when we read about this, um, you know, you've got to ask, like, how good must that treasure in the field be? Like, how amazing is this pearl that a merchant would give up everything to go get it. That is the nature of the kingdom. That's the bedrock of the call. And so we have to hold these two things in tension, I think, because it can be daunting, it can be difficult. He does ask us to suffer on and on, but he does so in light of tremendous and overflowing goodness and blessings that will come through it. And... Yeah, all you can say in the end is that it is absolutely worth it. You know, when the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good, if you will just follow him a little bit, he will prove to you that this is better. And so that guy who's buying the field, he's not like stressed out or, you know, worried or, you know, wondering over if this is the right thing. Like in his joy, He just goes out, sells everything. Now he's got the only thing that matters. That should be our reaction to what Jesus has called us to. And I think, you know, if we just try to sit here for a few minutes, we we know what this is like. Even early in your relationship with Christ, I bet you can think back to just some of the fire that maybe you started out with and some of the the zeal you know, outside of that, just look at the typical someone who's in love, right? This is an easy example. Um, most of us, like, we do have things we would give up everything for. But find, like, a young 20-something who's in love for the first time. And I think this is a good picture of what God wants from us. Um, you know the temporary insanity that sets in. 
right? I, uh, I got a, a friend I've been hanging out with. He's in this position right now. He's crazy. And he knows it. Like, it's just part of it. All you can do is, you know, try our best to be wise in light of Jesus' teaching and beg God to, to carry us through it. But, man, he would do anything for, the, for this girl. I'm like, okay, man. Take a chill pill. He knows who he is. It's okay. You know, I went to a wedding yesterday. I bet a lot of you did. There's a couple weddings. I went to Mark Baker's wedding, one of the guys at the Plano Church. Those vows, you, you know them. They're, they're so, like, heavy, the, the vows in these weddings. You know, we're vowing to give up every ounce of selfishness in us for this other person that will only surely let us down. Um, again and again, in sickness, health, rich or poor, like you know the deal. And the couple is just sort of blissfully smiling, staring into each other's eyes. Of course, I would give up my everything. And they mean it wholeheartedly. That's not like fake, but th- there's this sense, you know, love is, is pretty powerful. Um, and I think it's that same sort of blissful joyous outlook that scripture would would lead us to see our desire for the kingdom of God to be and mirror because when you know the truth when you know the goodness that is coming when you know how great that treasure in the field is how awesome that pearl is it is better for you to give up everything else for it like it is better for you. It will be more joyous. Your life will be more fulfilled. You will find intimacy with the Creator, God. Everything that we try and put in front of this just pales in comparison. It, it's laughable, the things we run after in this world to try and replace the love of God. And so the question here is, are you in love with Jesus? Are you blissfully willing to do anything he asks you to do? Because you know it's better for you anyway. You know, I think there's a a powerful message. This is from the book of Revelation in chapter 2. One of those seven short letters from Jesus to seven different churches. Um, And in the message from Jesus to the church in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, at the beginning of the chapter, he's like, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You've persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, you have not grown weary. He's like, he's building them up, you're doing good. Yet, I hold this one thing against you, Jesus says to this church. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. There is... This is a a journey, and I think we all know that experience. We all have felt the ups and downs in our own love for Jesus, our own zeal for his call. And so that's a very common experience. You know, we battle, um, you know, worldly desires and, and evil spiritual forces and everything else while we wait for Jesus to return. But the call is to return to your first love. 
you know, that those early moments that you can compare, I think, to the, those crazy teenagers or whoever else in love when you were perfectly willing and excited to do anything for Jesus. We've got to get ourselves back there over and over again and try to remind ourselves of what that is like. Maybe try to find it for the first time that there is only good things to come from complete devotion to Jesus. So are you in love with Jesus? You know, have you forgotten what it was like to, to be in, in that place with him? May God bring us back there again and again. You know, this is, this is also what, what the Beatitudes are about. That, it's an interesting little study to, to look at that word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek etc., etc. Blessed means happy. It means to be envied. If you are blessed, like you have found the good life. You have what everyone else is after. And so you, you could read that just straight as happy are the poor. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It sounds completely silly, and upside down and backwards. But that is the truth. In Christ, there is only joy and happiness to be found in following Him. And He gives us this supernatural ability to find joy and experience joy in the hardest situations. If you will just take Him up on that invitation. And so the the point I want to make is that the prize is worth it. And there is a prize both waiting for us and here for us now. You know, think about the things that the kingdom has brought in your own life or, or the promises that we see in Scripture. And, and just, you know, dwell on these for a minute and, and ask the Spirit to renew your love for Him. We get to experience the heart change. You know, the the psalmist says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes we like to read that and and ask for the Porsche. That's not what's happening. He's putting desires in your heart. He is remaking your heart. You know, this is a huge theme throughout the Bible. You know, the prophets love this new heart. You know, we had a heart of stone. We're going to get a heart of flesh. Um, we're going to get a a resurrected heart. You know, the valley of dry bones, he takes what's dead and makes it alive within us. He's going to shift your heart. He has shifted your heart. You look back and see the things you used to desire, and it's just, it's amazing to see, wow. Yeah, I, I desire different things now. Praise God. That heart change is for you in the kingdom. That leads to life change. The things that used to um, you know, take center stage in our attention and, and our thoughts and, and what we would go after and shoot for, that begins to, to switch. And, and our life can somehow, our broken lives can start to look more and more like Jesus. And so we get to experience more and more of his blessing. Um, you know, just think about the community impact in, in a small room like this. The friends that you have, the, the friends that you could have, the, the family. You know, we, we have people that um, 
have done big things and they find something and they, they move far and they quit jobs and they start something new because it, they start to experience just the basics of the kingdom. And they realize how great it is to have like true friends and people you can trust and people that can share your burdens and people that will help you out of a bind. On and on, the community benefits we find in the kingdom are outstanding. You know, to, to be able to enjoy true trust. You know, this is one of the, the scarcest things in the world of, apart from Christ. We are so skeptical. We trust nothing and no one. And sometimes rightly so. We think everything is a scam. Everyone is out for their own interest. And it is hard to live in that state. You can come to the kingdom, take his invitation, and you can find people you truly trust. You can trust in your Savior. There is security and safety in a way that the world can't offer you. You know, we are, are promised that abundant life. You know, he's going to give you life to the full. And again, that can feel like, that's, that's weird. You just told me to give up everything. And so you just have to dive in and and experience, because in the midst of that, you will have life to the full. You know, another thing the world is just so good at is telling you that everything runs on scarcity. There is not enough. And that's why human history is full of violence and greed, and and we got to protect what's mine and kill you if you're coming after it. And, like, it's a lie. The Creator has enough for you. Like, He has enough for you here and now. You've got financial problems right now. Like, He has enough for you. You've got, you know, stress and anxiety about your job or your car or, you know, unhealthy friends or family, whatever it is. Like, He has enough. You take it to Him, and He will bring that to the kingdom. You know, the kingdom gives us the the strength to face those trials and and face suffering. What what did Clay say earlier? He doesn't know how anyone could have a baby without a community like this. Like, I get that. I mean, people do it all the time. They struggle through it, right? But the blessing that that we have, that reminds me, like, Amy and I, we got to be kind of the, the first marriage in a while around here. We've been married for, like, 16 years now, right? a long time um but yeah so it was kind of before focus really started just booming and there's weddings every single weekend and but the amount of stuff we were given was just it was probably too much like it was gross we uh people were so ready it's like we haven't had a marriage and it we couldn't fill our apartment we couldn't like it was out of control like the the blessings that God will just choose to bring down on you if you'll stick with Him are amazing. And they, they overshadow none of the, the highs, none of the, the quote-unquote good experiences or things you find in the world can compare. The ability to, to conquer sin and overcome addiction that comes from the kingdom. That comes from his call. You know, certainly 
there are, are journeys before us, and, and there are powerful, broken things that we can only beg Christ to change and wait for his arrival. But there is tremendous freedom as well for here and now. And you can overcome your worst nightmare if you'll submit it to Jesus. You know, the, the resurrection itself and eternal life, you know, the, the promise of the new heavens and new earth, the new city of God coming down, we, we can only describe it by what it's not going to be. You know, the, the famous line from Revelation, when the, the city's coming down, God's dwelling place is going to be with his people, we're going to be with him. Um, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We know what needs to go, but I promise you, you don't have any idea how good it's going to be. It's indescribable. The freedom from all those worldly concerns. It is so easy to, to get bogged down. Like there's legitimate needs everywhere. You find out in a hurry you can't fix it. You try to, to do the, the good you can and you beg God to do the rest. But he gives us freedom from, yeah, the worldly concerns, the stress, the things we worry about far too often are those temporal things. The things that big picture we can step back and say don't matter. In the moment, it feels like nothing matters more. But he gives us freedom from those concerns. His call helps us leave those behind. And, and what may seem hard, and the idea that we give that up seems impossible, but the, the secret is that it is absolutely freeing. You know, Paul said it uh, his way in Philippians 4, um, that he'd learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. He could do all things through Christ who gave him strength. Like that, that secret, um, you know, we need to share it, you know, wide and far, but it is a secret to the world. You know, the, the pressures that the evil one would put on us is overwhelming. But if you will just trust and take him up on this call and point your life to Jesus, you'll find that secret too. And then no matter what comes your way, you can find contentment. And even beyond that, you can find joy to know that there's more to come later. But we could do this forever. You could read the whole New Testament and find just tremendous blessings. And so I do want to read... you know, maybe a handful of verses to, to kind of conclude here. But the point is, his invitation can seem daunting. And, and he does want your everything. But it is completely worth it. And there is no greater good. And you'll find that what seems difficult and hard is overshadowed by the blessings that will come if you'll just take that step and act in faith. Listen to a a passage from Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. New life is waiting for us. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Just a simple passage there. New life, resurrection, freedom from sin. You know, read Romans 8 over and over, right? But a couple highlights. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I consider that our our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, God said it this way to the Israelites in Isaiah 48. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. That's the same invitation that we still have. It is hard. It can be daunting. Sometimes it does require absolutely everything. But it comes with eternal blessings, both here and yet to come. And there's no greater invitation to receive, no greater invitation to accept. And so be reminded of that today, but also just recognize the gift that that you hold and how desperately the world around you needs it. All of this is built around a simple, you know, like eight-page package to try and take people one-on-one and point them to Jesus. So I challenge you to to do that. Make that part of your life and bring others into the tremendous blessing that we have here. Um, I'll pray for us and, and we'll wrap up. God, you are so completely great. Um, we don't have enough words or, or time to describe how good um, the blessings you have for us all are. And so I just ask that you would give us uh, renewed insight into how great your call is and that we could see that through the eyes of Christ. Give us the strength to face um, any difficulties and sacrifice that may be needed and, and may we know that despite that and through that we'll only find joy and blessing on the other side with you, God. God, I also want to pray, keep our teens safe as they head to camp tomorrow. Um, Safe on the road. May it be an awesome week for all of them. Bless 
our week, and may we go out and bless the world around us, God. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.